Welcome to the Brains Magazine podcast, a podcast with in-depth interviews and conversations with world-class entrepreneurs, expert coaches, industry leaders, and international celebrities. Get exclusive insight into the world of business, mindset, leadership, and lifestyle with your host, Mark Sefton. Welcome to uh, this uh, next edition of the Brains Magazine podcast. And today I have Paul Glover with me. Paul, you are the No BS Work Performance and Resilience Coach. How are you today, Paul? I'm doing fine, Mark. Uh, and thank you so much for the uh, opportunity to speak to you and your audience. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. It's always uh, an interesting time for me and a great privilege to sit down with people like you and to be able to glean as much out of you as I can within 30 minutes. So I kind of challenge myself uh, to ask the right questions and to make sure that I'm representing the listener. Because for me, when you meet people like yourself, who's been in the industry a long time, for me, it's really important to draw out of you so that we can get as much benefit for the, for the listener as possible. And I'm sure like me, uh, you're very much audience obsessed. Uh, you know, the, the end consumer, the client, the customer is the most important. Absolutely. So, I would hope that the audience will uh, will get something that they can use, something that's relevant and uh, to their day uh, and hopefully makes their life better. Absolutely. Now, I just want to start. I always think it's important sometimes to really connect uh, the individual uh, with the listener, because sometimes we, we know of brands where their logo becomes their front profile. And this is why I, I was really impressed with people like Steve Jobs and even Elon Musk now because they don't hide behind their business they're very much at the forefront you know you associate Apple with Steve Jobs you associate Tesla with Elon Musk and so I think it's really good to put who you are at the forefront now I know that you are a massive Starbucks addict you even have stocks in Starbucks what would be the thing that you would order Paul if you were to walk into a Starbucks what would be your drink there, there's only one drink, and that is a, a grande, flat white, with an extra shot. <laughs> yeah, and I think that it, came from Australia, didn't it, Paul? It it did. Uh, the the Aussies obviously have good taste, and I appreciate the fact that it migrated to the United States. Now that's my morning drink. Uh, that's my five a.m. drink. Uh, then in the afternoon, uh, I'll do a uh, iced uh, <laughs> the, the the cold brew with a vanilla shot and that'll be about one o'clock and then about four o'clock i'll go back and have whatever the hell looks interesting i like they've got a variety of drinks and at some point it's like all right i've i've got my regulars in let's do something more exciting some of it i can actually drink some of it i just throw out <laughs> so but you've got to be willing to explore you never know when you're going to run across that unexpected gem that'll become part of your regular routine yeah, some of my best coffee I've tried has been in America, especially in New York. And I remember going into this one store and it really made me laugh because it said, purge yourself, you know, of, of evil. Money is the root of all evil. Like, leave your tips here. I thought it was hilarious. That <laughs> <Very laughs> was a great, great, great way to uh, get a few extra dollars in the till. I'm always looking for a great hook. That's one right there. Yeah, def definitely. Now... Like me, you're a big sports fan. You're a bigger Chicago Bears fan. What would you say, Paul, has been your happiest memory with regards to the Bears? 
Well, obviously, you you had your your softball of me, 1985 Super Bowl. I mean, what the hell? Uh, it only took forever to get there, and, and it's taking forever to get back. But yeah, the Bears 1985 team. Uh, especially the defense. Uh, I'm a defense guy. Uh, I, I love the flashy offense, but I believe the defense makes or breaks the team. And uh, that defense obviously was spectacular. And my only regret is they didn't go. They didn't go 16 and 0. Lost the one game, uh, but still, that is the, uh, the the best memory of the uh, the Bears in my lifetime. <laughs> I think we have a similar kind of holding on to history. Uh, theme because my team which is in football in soccer Coventry City they won the FA Cup in 1987 and haven't won it since so it's kind of similar pain to uh, the Bears with uh, baseball funny well and, and of course now I have I have hope because we may have a quarterback and uh, there hasn't been a Bears quarterback since 1945 so the reality is that we've got a uh, got a, a young man Justin Fields who looks like he could be that quarterback that coupled with a defense that's strong uh, might take us far into the playoffs Obviously, I'm betting. I don't. I don't bet money, but with all of those who uh, I bet with, uh, we bet pizza. <laughs> Malnati's pizza is uh, is the normal bet, and uh, I'll take a pizza from your part of the country in exchange. <laughs> I reckon you're going to get a lot of pizza then this year. <laughs> I'm hoping. <laughs> now, Paul, uh, I want to focus more now on on your work and and on what you do and. We often see, you know, people pivot and transfer their skills. And in your case, you went from a federal court trial lawyer to creating a coaching program. Tell us about your realization and premises from your own experience. Well, I'd had a 30-year career as a, as a trial lawyer uh, doing labor and employment law in the city of Chicago. And uh, at some point, uh, I decided that it was time to try something different. That it was a long career. And uh, I looked at the skill set because I believe everybody needs to do a, uh, I call it the annual evaluation. You need to do self-evaluation uh, on an annual basis to allow you to, uh, to assess your skill sets. And are you getting better? Are you developing different skill sets? Where are you at in your career and your life? Uh, I believe people's values, as much as we think they're written in stone, change. Uh, you change with age, you change with experience. And so, uh, so I, I, I did my annual evaluation. The best time to do that for me is, uh, is between Christmas and New Year's, when normally everything except parties have, have died down. Uh, and I spent some time, uh, and not an exorbitant amount, but I'll spend four or five hours uh, going over what I wanted to accomplish over the last 12 months, whether I did it or didn't, and uh, try to evaluate why, and also uh, start to look at the year ahead. I, I believe that the concept of uh, New Year's resolutions get, get a bad rap. I don't think you should be doing resolutions, but I do think you should be looking at what you want to accomplish in your life, professionally and personally. Uh, and I did that, and I realized that uh, at the 30 years of being a trial lawyer, had bought me a lot of joy and uh, obviously put a roof over my family and my head, but that uh, it was time to think about doing something else. Uh, being a trial lawyer is extraordinarily combative and it fit, it fit my personality. 
But I also thought, you know, I, I would uh, like to take this skill set, uh, and, and being a trial lawyer is an interesting skill set. Uh, you have to be a critical thinker, but the reality is you need to also uh, be emotionally intelligent. Uh, because the reality of convincing a jury or persuading a jury to your point of view, uh, we often believe is based on presenting them with the facts. But that really is only half the narrative. Uh, the other half of the narrative is, can I emotionally touch you with the story that I'm going to present to you throughout this trial? So it's a combination of feelings and, and rational thought that creates the narrative that allows you to convince the jury that they should be on your side, your client's side. Uh, and so I, I thought about that and I, and I started thinking, you know, this is a skill set that would be useful in business because I believe that a lot of leaders uh, do not know how to put their message together in a way that evokes the emotional uh, response that commits people. And then you take that emotional response and you connect it to the facts. And before you know it, you have people who are engaged, who are committed. And I thought, well, okay, I'm gonna, I, I think I'm gonna take this and I'm going to see if it is of any interest to those that I know in the business community. Lo and behold, it was of interest. And from that, it moved into coaching. Uh, so I took the concept of communication, and which I believe most leaders are very poor at, uh, put together that, uh, that program, presented it, but then I realized, well, I can now also move into, into coaching because the reality is most people in management, especially upper level, uh, never hear the truth. Everything that they get is filtered. Yeah. The higher up you are in the company, the more filters exist between you and reality at the front line. Mm -hmm. I decided that that because as a lawyer, uh, I, I I did not I, I developed an extreme uh, an extreme ability to uh, to detect bullshit. Uh, first, I've never met a client that told me the truth the first time. Uh, they, they want to tell you the truth that they believe is going to make you like them and want to represent them. But that's not the truth. That's why we have a trial, by the way. You get to tell your truth and the other side tells their truth. And there's something in the middle that represents the real truth. And I, and I decided, you know, as I listened to uh, leadership talking about communication, I realized that they were not hearing the truth. And they weren't hearing the truth about themselves as well as their organization, because every leader has blind spots. I don't care who you are, you have strengths and weaknesses. Often though, the blind spots exist and we don't realize they're there. But let me tell you, everybody else does. Every, everybody else knows your blind spots and there are people who will take advantage of those blind spots for their, for their own gain. So I decided that part of, part of what I could offer as well as an active communication improvement process was the no BS coaching process that forced leaders who wanted to be forced to recognize those blind spots and how those blind spots were causing self-inflicted injuries that, that stopped them and their organization from reaching their potential. 
And that developed, I developed that into my coaching process. And suddenly I, there was response to that. There was response to someone who would say, I am not gonna allow any bullshit between you and me in a coaching process. And if you are committed to this, we are going to go through a process that allows you to understand who you are and what you need to do to get better. And then we're going to put together an action plan with specific steps that are measurable to move you from where you are to where you need to be. Now, this is a mutual agreement between myself and the person in the coaching program. I can't tell you what you want to do. I can tell you what you probably should think about doing, but you have to commit to doing that. And once we've got that action plan in place, then we're going to work together to make sure you do the action steps and therefore we're going to be able to measure the improvement. And I also believe one thing, Mark, that I'll add on here is that I believe that if you're going to be a coach, you need to have skin in the game. Mm -hmm. And to me, skin in the game for most business leaders is not my time, but the money they're willing to pay me to be a coach. So I decided that I was going to connect my compensation to outcome. Once we've agreed upon what we want to do together in the coaching process, once we've agreed upon the action plan and the action steps, then within the context of the coaching agreement, when we've gotten to the outcome, you're going to make a decision as to whether or not we were successful. And if we were, you were going to pay me my compensation. If you decide we're not successful, you don't pay me my compensation. This does a couple of things. First, I now have skin in the game. I'm committed that I would be otherwise. I tell people I care, just not that much. But when you connect money to that, I care a lot more. Mm. So uh, it, it works and, and I feel good about it. And by the way, I think that the, the measurable outcome is required. I don't wanna be soft and fluffy. That's not who I am. And I don't think leaders can afford to be soft and fluffy either. So I'm sorry, you obviously tripped the trigger. I didn't mean to go on quite that long. <laughs> that's how it started and that's where it's at. Paul, uh, yeah, it was great though. There was, there was so much in there that really strikes a chord going back to the start in terms of how you kind of evaluate your own process between Christmas and New Year. Yeah, around the 27th, 28th of December, I do exactly the same. Reflect on what's working. Look at, you know, uh, my output. Look what I've achieved. Look at the things that I want to consider moving into the next year. So really, really vibed with that one. And I loved, I loved when I asked you about the transferable skills and that pivoting, you know, based on your experience as a federal court trial lawyer, it's incredible for you to be able to articulate, you know, the emotion, as you said, that convinces people to believe what is being presented, uh, added that to, to the facts, and then taking that essence and being able to put it within your coaching business and calling people how, out and holding them accountable, you know, and working with them on their blind spots. Uh, I can really see that transition that was a really beautiful uh, kind of synchronicity of how you were able to explain that. Cause I think for some people, you know, they tend to not know the direction they need to go in. They may feel stagnant in their, their current job and people want to make that transition into creating their own uh, identity and, and business and, and being able to see how you transition. That was, was really beautiful. So thank you for, for that one, Paul. Thank you. Now, based on your own skill set and considering, you know, the current climate that we've all faced on the back end of, of COVID, 
where where do you feel we are in society and and the economy with regards to like the future of work what do you think the landscape uh, is looking like well obviously i believe that COVID, as much as i wish it never happened is giving us the opportunity to change uh it it gives us the opportunity as leaders to change the way we look at how work is going to be done and I, I'm, I'm, I'm curious because I, and by the way, I, I believe curiosity is a, if you aren't curious as a leader, uh, you shouldn't lead because being curious requires that you ask the questions. And this COVID and the pandemic is providing the opportunity to ask the questions about what's working and what's not. And you need to ask those of the people who are actually doing the work. And when I look at what's being called the great resignation, you know, the reality uh, is not there yet, but, but there's this theory that so many people are looking at leaving where they are, their employment, going somewhere better. And I believe that if a, uh, if a company is going to actually see that happen, it is the grade they're going to receive for the test. And the test has been, the pandemic said, you better change the way you're doing things mm -hmm. because first, it's overdue. We are still doing industrial age working conditions, even in an office. That's why everybody, the managers love having butts in the seats so they can watch them. It's a trust issue. Uh, this is not an assembly line anymore. And the reality is that working from home, which is such an issue now, is not really an issue for the employees. It's an issue for managers because now they have to learn how to not manage, but to lead. And that's a skill set most don't have. So when I look at this and I go, listen, there is absolutely no question that the American workforce and the world workforce is not engaged. How do I know this? Gallup does an engagement survey on an annual basis, and the one that they did in 2020 showed that only 36% of the workforce is engaged. And by the way, Gallup said we should celebrate this. Hmm. I was like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Celebrate 36% engaged? Hmm. 17% are actively disengaged. I call them the working dead. They are the ones that are toxic to the work environment and need to be fired yesterday, and yet they're still there. Mm. So I look at this and I go, the pandemic has only highlighted the, the, the reality. That is that two thirds of the workforce is not engaged at your company, at your organization, and you are ignoring the fact that they aren't engaged and you are doing nothing to engage them. Guess what? They're now telling you we're leaving because you failed during the pandemic to do what was necessary to convince us to stay. Mm -hmm. Failure of leadership on an epic level. And by the way, if if 50% of your talent walks out the door, whose fault is that? And are you going to say, I can't believe they left? What are you, I can't believe they've been staying. <laughs> You've done nothing to encourage them to stay except give them a paycheck. And don't you understand that everybody who's working for you has said, that's not enough. So guess what? 
I believe that this is giving us, giving uh, the, the great resignation is the test, the pass fail for your leadership. And if you lose your talent, shame on you because this is, should not be a surprise. And if it is, you're too stupid to lead. Mm. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually. You know, the fact that obviously I know a lot more people are working from home across the world. Uh, as you said, people are no longer need a, need a manager, but they need a leader, especially if there isn't that close proximity. Uh, yeah. And you, you're talking about some of the hangups of the fact that people are checking out, they're not engaged. And I love some of the work of Gallup. I love strength finders and all, and all that good stuff around the work that they do. And in terms of your own work and, and kind of philosophy, uh, Paul, what do you feel like you bring that can help uh, employers uh, engage with their employees so there is a greater sense of purpose and, and value? Well, I, first, I think that, that if you're going to be a leader, you have to have a, a, a mission and a purpose that you can articulate so that others understand and either buy into it or, or decide they don't want to have anything to do with it. But I also think that being present in the, in the moment is something that leaders have forgotten about. Uh, I always tell when I, when I start a coaching program, especially with companies that are in manufacturing and distribution, the first thing I want to know is one of the first things is, do you have a third shift? No, the midnight shift. And, and if the answer is yes, my next question is, when was the last time you visited? And you get that deer and the headlight look from the leader because they haven't visited. Because you know why? It's midnight. <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. Oh, it's a different company. And they go, well, what do you mean? Well, obviously, you're not, you don't treat them like they're a part of your company because you haven't spent any time with them. Let me tell you what you need to do. Between now and our next coaching session, you need to get your lazy ass up at midnight and go to the, go to the factory, go to the distribution center, go to where the third shift works. And I said, now be prepared because when you walk in, you don't want to tell anyone you're coming because you don't want those supervisors preparing people to tell you something. So you need to show up unannounced and, you, and hopefully you have a key. You go in, you go to the cafeteria and you sit down at a table. And when the employees come in on break or lunch, let me tell you what they're going to do. First, they're going to ask somebody to call the police because they have no idea who you are. You're an intruder. You're, you need to, who, why are you here? Who are you? So guess what? Be prepared for that look of, oh my God, who is this guy? Because I, you know, we've never seen you before, or the last time we saw you was four years ago. Gee, look how you've aged. Uh, and, and so the first time is showing them that you're there and you care. You need to do this, and on the third visit, unannounced visit is when your people who are doing the work will tell you how your company is being run and they will tell you whether or not the vision you have the purpose you have is actually known to them and they're a part of it and they will also tell you if you're listening what you need to do to commit them to engage them then you need to go do it because the last thing you want to do is ask people to tell you the truth. They tell you the truth and you don't act on the truth. 
If you don't, don't go back and ask them again because they realize that you weren't being authentic. This was just checking the box. Interesting. It's so interesting that accountability uh, and being willing to put yourself in every position within the company. I think it seems so simple and yet so few do it. And Paul, I would love to know the general like landscape and your feeling about the standard of leadership in, in the businesses that you've worked with. What, what's your general feeling about it? You know, I, I, I will tell you that for the most part, leaders want to do the right thing. They continue to complicate what the right thing is. And when I talk to leaders, I talk to them about if you want, and by the way, I, I don't, I'm about, I'm about the relationship between leadership and everybody else. And I tell them that this is a very simple process, difficult to implement, still very simple. And I've, I've coined, coined the phrase, it's the three A's. Using the three A's will engage and commit the employees. It will make them partners. And the three A's are very simple. The first one is attraction. Now, attraction has nothing to do with how good looking you are. Attraction has to do with the energy that you put out, hmm. that, that the vibe you give every time you step in front of someone, that the fact that if you are, if you are with them, they feel, they feel the energy and commitment to the mission, to the purpose. So you've got to have attraction because if you do, you will draw the right people to you. They will feel it and they will come. It will also repel the wrong people. They will recognize how you are and how you feel about your mission and how it is a requirement that everyone else feel the same way. And those that don't want to need to leave because you can't afford the, the disengaged. The chunk that we're looking at, the, the group that you've already got that's engaged, that's cool. Let, let's, let's move them from engaged to committed. How about that? The 6% that are engaged, well, let's make them committed. The group that is not engaged, we need to make engaged. And the 17% that are the working dead, we need to get rid of. Identify them and take action. So here's your groups. You do the attraction thing and you will draw them to you. The second A, attention. Everybody wants attention. It's a part of our DNA. You need to give it to those that you work with. I don't believe anybody should be working for anyone anymore. I hate the term manage. You really know anybody who wants to be managed? Yes, I do. The 17% who are the working dead want to be managed because they've recognized that once you stop watching them and telling them what to do, they just get to stop. Why would I do any more? We don't want to manage, we want to lead. So skip the managing part. Nobody wants that anymore. And if you haven't realized that, take a close look at your organization. If people are being managed, they are not engaged. They have no autonomy. You're not giving them any. Uh, so so the, the concept of attention is huge. That means you have to be present. You can't decide that you're not gonna mingle. 
<laughs> you are required to mingle. You're required to be in front of those people who are doing the work so that you can see how they do it, see what they need, ask them the questions, be curious, engage them, right? Engagement is two ways. I'm going to engage you, but I can't engage you unless I'm in front of you unless I'm communicating with you, telling you my story, getting your reaction to that story. And then the final A is real simple, appreciation. Oh my God, we're sitting in a restaurant and if we ask a person at a stranger at the other table to pass us the salt, we say, thank you. How many times you're saying thank you on a daily basis to those people who are creating your profit? I guarantee you it is not enough. And the, the reality is that you have to say thank you. You have to show appreciation in a variety of ways. And, and that that's huge. People need to hear it. I, I the, the deal is that I when I talk to managers who are who are getting ready, they it's been that it's been that uh, five days of, of uh, 105 degree heat in a uncooled distribution center and everybody's going home for the weekend. And the last thing you wanna to say to someone is see you next week. That's like an invitation back to hell. I mean, this has been a hell of a week and by God, next week, let's do this again. Oh my God, uh, seriously? No, what you need to do is I wanna thank you for all the effort you've put into making this week successful. How about that is how we end the week. How about do we recognize that the families need to be recognized? How about if you give that give that employee, that team member, that's what they're called now, not employees, team members, you give them that, that, that gift card that says, take you and your family out for dinner tonight. Show appreciation. The three A's, so simple. Attraction, attention, appreciation. You know what? Then you get with the outcome. The outcome is engagement and commitment. Based off of that, you get performance. And based off performance, you get profit. Such a simple formula that we still struggle with. Let's not complicate it with anything. Nobody wants a ping pong table. Mm. Give it up. How about if you actually give them things that matter to them and their family? Yeah, it's very, it's very true. And, and it's a great reminder, uh, Paul. You know, when you when you break it down like that, those three A's and, and you just think of, you know, even in a relationship, you know, a, a relationship blossoms when there's energy and there's attraction, there's the attention and there's the appreciation. You know, these are these are the basic like needs that as humans, we want to feel, you know, attracted. We want to feel that people think we're worthy of the attention and we definitely want the appreciation for uh, a job well done. Uh, and I think the the crux of leadership is you've got to like people. And I think the problem is, is that you have too many people in people, people in positions of power that actually don't like people. They, they may like the process of business, but they fundamentally don't like people. And I think that's where they come and stuck, isn't it? You're right. And, and by the way, I, one of the things, because you're, you're spot on, Mark, one of the things that I, I tell the leaders is every time you look at a profit and loss sheet, every time you look at a spreadsheet that has a number on it, behind every number is a face. 
That number does not exist if there isn't someone behind that, that face that made that number possible. How about if you move beyond the number to the face? Because if you take care of the face, the person, they'll take care of the number. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with that. And uh, love that you've just put that in a nice uh, nice nutshell for us to, to digest and really pause on. Now, we're coming to the end of the interview. The time has absolutely flown. Uh, there's one question I've got to ask you, though, because I think for me, it's something that's really topical at the moment. Uh, and it's something that I'm thinking about as well. Now, Paul, I'm sure that you probably agree, but everybody seems to be a coach these days, you know, and, and in some ways, when you're in that industry, you know, it's, it's almost like coaches are saying the same things, you know, they're just saying it in, in their own way. But what's different about your voice, would you say, as, as a coach? Well, I think that first, my experience uh, in a variety of areas uh, prepares me to coach because I, I am able to be empathetic to leaders who are dealing with setbacks, to leaders who, who need to understand the ability to communicate, all of the things, the soft skills. I'm not a hard skill guy, uh, but, but the reality is that I still go back to how I, how I put myself out there. Uh, I, and I, and it's, I, I'm an acquired taste, Mark. Uh, I, not only I've found that only 20% of leaders are willing to tolerate my approach uh, because it's pretty hardcore and it, it's no, no fluff. Uh, I don't life coach. <laughs> if you want to have a life coach, I'm not the person to come and talk to. I'm a performance coach. And I believe that everybody has that, that next level of performance that's there for them. And I don't, and I don't believe they've got to work harder. I don't believe that you've got to, you know, it's not the nose to the grindstone that moves you to, to achieve potential. And I see that potential in those that I coach. Mm -hmm. And when they see it, I want them to see it. And I want them to understand what they can achieve if they're willing to commit. And the reality of commitment to me is what makes the, uh, the coaching process works. Uh, first, it has to be based on trust. My, my definition, I'm, I'm so simple about stuff that people are like, ah, I'm not so sure it's going to work. It's not complicated enough. Uh, the definition of trust is first, do what you're supposed to do. And if you don't know that, you need to find out. But the second thing is do what you say you're going to do. See, that's where we get to the accountability that, that most people aren't aren't capable of doing. So as I start my process, I want people to be realistic about expectations. And the reality is you often have to tell people that's beyond your, your capacity at this point. Stop that. Do this instead. Uh, the concept of coaching for me is a little bit different. Uh, I, I don't believe that you have to wait until a leader is going down for the third time in the deep end and watch them drown. I believe that leaders often need to hear what a potential answer is. And I know a lot of coaches are not into that. They believe that the, the person you're coaching has got to come up with the answer on their own. That makes sense only if they're prepared to be able to answer the question. Often leaders are put into their leadership role without that experience and the ability to understand what they have to do to get to the answer. 
often instead of coaching, I, I tell people I'm a guide. In fact, one of my uh, one of the people in my coaching process says they, they've nicknamed me the Sherpa. I will take you, Lee, I will guide you to the mountaintop. You still, have, I'm not carrying you, by the way. Understand, I'm not that Sherpa. You're going to have to do the work to climb, but I'm definitely going to guide you because I know this is your first time to the mountaintop. And I don't want you having a misstep because it can be fatal. So I'm going to give you the guidance I believe you need. Now, I will figure out how much guidance you need, and I'll direct you to other sources to get that guidance if I can't provide it. But yeah, I'm going to be I'm going to be the guy that the Sherpa for you. And uh, some days, you know, you, you don't want to get up and the Sherpa says, sorry, dude, we got another 200 feet to go today. You know why? The storm's coming and we're not going to be on the mountain when the storm comes, or at least I'm not. So, so yeah, it's a, it's a different perspective. And I think I bring that, that uh, edge to it, that people who want to get better are willing to, uh, to endure a little bit of edge, by the way. And definitely you have to accept accountability when you're with me. I am accountable for what I say I'm going to do. You have to be accountable also. So far it works, but only for 20%. I think you crushed that one because <laughs> I think I think the fact that you defined and you have the freedom of knowing that you're not everybody's cup of tea, uh, in yeah. some ways I find that that's more refreshing because you find that some people as coaches will coax, will manipulate will you know try and get people to work with them the fact that you say this is what i bring to the table but this is what you also need to bring in order for this uh, opportunity to really work so i love that i thought you, that was great paul thank you, well, thank how, do, you. how do people find out more about you paul uh, how do they connect with you Obviously, my connection is uh, through my website, paulglovercoaching.com, and also my LinkedIn profile, uh, Paul Glover Coaching. Uh, that's how they connect. Uh, obviously, uh, I do a lot of, most of my work is referral work, but I'm always open to having a discussion with someone uh, who not only can tolerate me, but also can afford me. Beautiful. And is there anything else that you want to say very briefly before we end the interview? No, I actually first I compliment you on being a very good. By the way, I've done I think thirty podcasts in the last three months. Uh, you, you're you're very good at the questions, and uh, uh, obviously I enjoy that. And I think it's uh, it's been a very nice opportunity for me to talk to you, but also to talk to your audience. I do believe I've got a message. Uh, it doesn't have to be paid for, but I do feel the obligation to put it out there to those who are listening. Beautiful. Well, I've enjoyed it, Paul. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. Thank you for joining this episode with me, Mark Sefton. I hope you've really enjoyed it. Feel free to leave us a positive review on iTunes. And I look forward to welcoming you back to the next episode of the Brains Magazine podcast. <laughs>